how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 182, and I recorded it last year, actually. Uh, Matt Perzicki came over uh, to the house, and we went down into the podcast room and had a conversation about uh, his childhood cancer. So he and I chatted about a documentary that he is in the midst of making right now called 30 Years Later as a survivor of childhood cancer. It was important to him to make this movie. He uh, talks about his own experience, how his family, their experience, he interviews his family members stuff, and then other kids, families that uh, are also going through the same kinds of things. Uh, There is a GoFundMe link on heyhumanpodcast.com uh, on the links page on there on the on the Hey Human website. The GoFundMe link is to help raise money to finish the movie, the documentary, and get that out there. I reached out to Matt this week to tell him that this was coming out and asked him if there were any updates. <laughs> he said that they took some time to re- refocus on the storytelling part of, of the documentary and they're ready for the relaunch. He said that many people have been adding their expertise and giving of their time. Uh, they've added some new team members who they'll be introducing soon, and they're very excited about that. They're going to be pitching a TV movie to the Hallmark Channel that in part highlights a piece of Matt's story. And they are now working with a, a guy named Alex Marshall. In the midst of production, Alec is really helping with that. So they're, they're really, I think they're going full board now, and they said they're going to start or, sorry, they said that they're going to continue filming in the early in early 2020. God, 2020, so weird. Time flies. Anyway, 30 Years Later is the name of the documentary. Uh, Matt's a great guy. I learned a lot, actually. Um, I didn't know a lot about, you know, childhood cancers, for example, the difference between... I knew that, obviously, radiation and chemotherapy, that there's a big difference between the two, but I wanted to know what that was. So I looked all that stuff up. I looked up something called Savior Sibling, which is when um, they they use like, the stem cell, perhaps, from a sibling in order to help save the life of the other child who is sick. Lots of really interesting stuff. So I put those articles that I found uh, on Hey Human Podcast link page because... I thought it was interesting. I was curious and I thought maybe you would be too. So make sure you go check that out if you want to know more. Um, I put all sorts of information up there. Uh, Social media stuff. Hey Human Podcast is on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, My personal social media is Susan Ruthism. It's at Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. You can email me, Susan at HeyHumanPodcast.com. I mentioned the links page there on HeyHumanPodcast.com. Check that out for sure. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes. And if you shop Amazon on the front page there of the HeyHumanPodcast.com website uh, is an Amazon portal. If you shop Amazon and you do so through that portal, it helps support Hey Human, and I appreciate that. So it helps keep uh, the show ad-free. Uh, I think that's pretty much it. Um, yeah, thank you for listening. Some really interesting uh, episodes coming up, and we're heading into the end of the year, which is so crazy. I've been so busy this week that I am last-minute quarterbacking this episode this preamble to get it up for y'all to listen to Thursday morning. So my apologies if I sound a little punch drunk. I am. Okay, enough of that. Thanks for listening. Let's get into this. And uh, here we go. Hi, Matt Frizicki. Welcome to Hey Human. <laughs> hey, Susan. Thank you, for, uh, thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. It's nice to have you here in my little podcast room. Uh, this, is a, this is a really cool room, actually. It's thank you. It's very secret. Yeah, it is kind of a... It's like a hunkered down, mm-hmm. you know. I feel like we're doing something wrong, even. We might. The night is young. <laughs> <laughs> if this is wrong, I don't want to be right. <laughs> yeah, um, I like this little room, for sure. Well, you and I met... How many years has it been? It's been a while. I mean, it's been at least a few years, yeah. right? Yeah. And uh, 
you, I just, and then I only just recently over the last year found out that you are a filmmaker. I lived in LA for about 10 years. I was a, I was an actor and then the filmmaking side of things was always something I sort of did on the side, but I started to become, um, pursuing our current venture, um, probably in the last year and a half. Well, let's start. Maybe uh, I'm curious. First of all, yeah. uh, what kind of acting did you do? I did uh, commercials. Um, I did commercials for internet commercials and um, regular commercials, some independent films, and um, I did a, like a bunch of featured extra roles, some TV shows. Um, nothing too crazy. Um, it's a grind, you know. And and I. Um, but I, I gained a lot of experience and learned a lot and was able to work with a lot of really cool actors and now, you know, gain a lot of knowledge from them. Mm. Um, and I probably didn't give it as much of a chance as I intended when I first went out there um, because it's a grind. And just the city of L.A. is very just wears you out, you know, wore me out. And so I think that because there's a lot of variables, <laughs> a lot of driving, you know, a lot of your friends are spread out all over LA County and it's, nobody really wants to go anywhere else. So it's like that here in Nashville. Though, yeah, but I you feel. can get people in Nashville. You can get to anywhere in 20 minutes well, for the most part. Well, you used to be able to. I think it's up to about 40 now, but. 40 is still not bad. At, yeah. In LA, it's an hour, hour and a half, half, maybe two, depending yeah. both, you know, each way. Yeah. Um, Why do so, people throw weekly or bi-weekly parties where everyone <laughs> goes to the same place? You can see all your friends. Just. It'd be fantastic. It'd be wonderful. But nobody wants to do it. And if they do do it, they want to do it in their neck of the woods, and well, they never want to leave your neck it of the woods. It could rotate. Like that's a, a good thing. Like a game night. Yeah. I'm gonna, you know, Maybe I'm when you get there, that. that's, you need to start that so you don't lose <laughs> that track of... Good and since I don't have any friends. <laughs> you will. <laughs> so you will. You've already made a couple. You'll have, have plenty. Have. You'll make them real easy. It, it, the, the city, I think, itself, there's a lot of driving involved. You know, as an actor, you're always going on auditions. You're always in your car. Yeah. What's crazy is that something could be five miles away, and you think oh, I could just walk, yeah. but you can't because of the, the way the city's yeah. put out. And, and it's not even an intentional. Um, you're not even doing it intentionally where you don't go somewhere. You where you are, where you work, and where you live ends up being where you go all the time. Yeah, like it's your your, your drive to work. Your gym is over there. Like you find things that are close to you, so you don't have to be in the car all the time. But you still find yourself in the car. So I would work. I would. I lived in Burbank, and I worked in Studio mm -hmm. City for a while, and then I worked in Sherman Oaks, and they're all on the Valley side. So that's all my day was from nine to seven, six at night. I was at work. I would come home. I'd want to eat. It's really late at night. You know the uh, what is it? The rush hour was even you know at seven, seven thirty. Like it was much longer. LA, you just never knew when it was going to be. Mm busy you just always was ways is your friend that ways app. is your friend yeah. yeah ways is your friend so your your life is just you end up living in a little pod mm. sort of and then mm -hmm. when you venture out it's like oh man there's there's a whole part of la i haven't seen yeah. um maybe ever and i was out there in 10 years and i probably didn't see as many places as i thought i would have yeah. um but you know you're you're in your car you're meeting people and that's the cool thing you just you meet different people you might not get this all this role but you left an impression with that person and you'll hear something down the road it's just oh then you or you meet your friends and you sort of work together and you you know that's all you know in future projects which is really cool did you, know? you grow up wanting to be an actor i did i did, did yeah did I, you want to be a director too or just an actor no i have always wanted to be a director um I was always kind of a ham in school. I was always kind of sarcastic, trying to be funny, trying to be the class clown. Um, I did my first ever real acting in church um, in seventh grade. Mm -hmm. and did you play baby Jesus, Jesus, or Mary? No, I actually played an angel. <laughs> oh, good It was one. called Hark the Herald Angel, I think was the name of the play. And I Were you played Harold? I was Hark. Yeah, oh. I was the guy. I was the main guy. Hark. Yeah. That's a twist. So, like it was that. an interesting play. I don't know if... I don't even know if it still exists to this day. It was just a church player. I, I, I guess our choir director found or something. And that sort of gave me the itch. Um, but I also love sports. And so I played a ton of sports growing up. I played soccer, you know, baseball. Started out, you know, I did some golf as I started getting older. Basketball. And I went to private school, so we didn't have football. We didn't have big, huge teams. 
Um, and none of the schools I went to actually had theater. The and you have kind of doing. an East Coast accent. Did yeah. you grow up over there? I grew up in New ah, Jersey. Nailed yes, it. Yes, nailed it. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I grew up in South Jersey. Uh, we lived a little bit of, uh, for a short time in North Jersey, but I, I mainly, all my adolescence and high school years was in New Jersey, mm-hmm. down in the South, near Philly. That's why I'm a big Eagles fan. Wow. Um, so, um, They're lovely birds. Yeah. Very majestic birds. They are. I, I wish the fans were all... were. <laughs> I could say the same thing for all of the fans. I know nothing but, about football, really. Um, it's okay. Just know that Eagles won the Super Bowl last year. Do they? Do Super they wear hooks on their nose while they play? Like uh, no, because they have helmets, so they can't. The oh. hooks would get in the way. That would have been, that'd they, be pretty. That'd cool. be kind of a cool. They have a cool design helmet, though. They do. It's got an eagle on it, yeah. so it kind of looks. Oh, that's cool. You know, so it's you know. People are grimacing right now at my lack of knowledge. <laughs> it's, it's green right. though. They're right, they're green. They're green. <gasps> I got that much right. Yeah. Do you want to know my all the stuff I know about football other than the. You know, I'll go to a, a Super Bowl party or something for the snacks, and then I'll get into the game not caring. I don't really care who wins. I just want to watch a great game, and so I get into that because yeah. that's exciting. But all my knowledge into my adulthood that I had at football <laughs> came from the fact that growing up, I danced ballet and tap and <clears throat> jazz and all that stuff like all little girls do, you know. So sexist, but whatever. Uh, so gender specific. Um, but my mom, who loved Dairy Queen ah, so Dairy much, Queen's great. and she used my dance classes as an excuse to go to Dairy Queen, I'm pretty sure. And they had a, she's, my mother is a sports fanatic. Okay. Baseball, check. Football, check. Basketball, check. I mean, I think she never really got into hockey, but that other stuff for sure. And my dad could care less about sports, so it's kind of the role reversal thing. But Dairy Queen, when I was growing up, had this thing where they had all the AFC and NFC. I got that right, right? NFL? No, NFC? NFC, NFC is NFL. Yeah, you got it. Okay, so they had... <laughs> I think I know where you're going with it. Yeah, they had... They had the, you you would get a the helmets, ice cream right? sundae yes. and a helmet and you get the little stickers. You said so many of them. They, yes, and, yeah. I, and the girl who didn't care about any sport at all had on her bedroom wall <laughs> next to her bed, this is... I had the, the whole, like, cardboard thing yeah. and you got your ice cream and you brought home the thing, you wash it out and put the stickers on it, which I enjoyed that part because, you know... Yeah. And uh, would stick it on, stick it on the wall. And I think secretly, my mother was just super happy that something like that was in the house, even though I had no idea <laughs> what was going on. Love it. I know exactly what you're talking about. Such a tangent, but it's hilarious to me. But <laughs> anyway, so you. But to up, people, it looks like you knew sports if they saw I, your. They display. they would think I was super yeah, into totally. it. Totally. But so I had these vague recollections of of the color wheels of whichever team was which and they changed them up here and there i suppose as time goes on goes on but yeah i will forever connect chocolate sundays with football see just saying you can't something don't leave you ever <laughs> so weird <laughs> and those big blocks of cheese that people put in the crock pot and, um what is that stuff uh so like is, is it Velveeta? Maybe? Yeah, I think it's Velveeta. And then you just put it with the Rotel and the... To make like a the, nacho cheese sauce yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Some good stuff My right mom there. makes that every... No idea what that's Every year for New Year's. Of. It's amazing. But it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> it's some chemical... Con- it's a fantastic. It's so good. <laughs> anyway, so you were into sports. So what, So you were into the sort of uh, hammy kid and all yeah. that stuff? Yeah, I... I, I I went to three different private schools my junior year. Three different? Were you a bad kid or something? No, I just I, I think with when you go to private schools and growing up as a Christian, there's different um, different interpretations of how you're supposed to do things biblically wise, and I don't mm. think they're all. That's why there's so many different denominations within Christianity, and uh, my parents we we grew up um, sort of more non-denominational, not as structured. And so some of the, the schools I started going out with are going with, they um, sort of changed their mm. sort of way they did things. Mm-hmm. Uh, one school I went to um, from kindergarten to sixth grade was different than the school I went to from seventh grade to 10th grade. And there was just some different belief systems that had changed and things that my parents didn't feel really lined up with um, how they wanted to teach us growing up. And so wait, my junior year was the last uh, school I went to, but when I went into the school, I had already joined the soccer team into the tryouts, which was before school even started. So I had no idea of what was what's what they offered at the school, and it offered the most 
courses than any of the schools I'd been before, more public, if you will, with the opportunities that you have. Um, and then when I started doing playing soccer and the school, school year started, then I realized there was a drama department. That summer I decided, I think I'm going to just bypass all sports and do theater, see if I can make it work. So it was my senior year that I started taking part, and I didn't, you know, I guess I expected to just walk right in and get the parts. You know, just you don't think about... I've never done it before, so I don't think about auditioning and you just, oh, yeah, I want to do that part. You know, you don't, that's not how it works. And so um, the very first play I went and did, I did a – it was a bet between me and my best friend that I thought I'd get the main part, and he thought he'd get the main part, and he's never acted before. And I said, oh, dude, I mean, yeah, that's fine. Um, but the the this is kind of a funny story, actually. The main actress was a girl in our class that was just like – she was the pinnacle of theater. She was just, she was always doing the plays for as long as she could remember. But she was just, she was the kind of girl that you were like, man, you could cr you get a crush on her real easily. So I thought, well, she's getting the lead role. I'll go out for the lead male role and Smart. we'll make it happen, right? Mm -hmm. So that was the bet between me and, and my buddy. And uh, he, my buddy Jeff got the part. Oh, that I did not. Crushing. So I felt really bad, and he thought, ah, see what happened? But it ended up being that she didn't play the main actress part that play. She played a supporting role. So in the end, I really didn't lose out, but it did get me the very first, I think the play was called Dear Diary. I just got the itch that year. I just really did, and I thought, um, I think I want to pursue this. Yeah. You know, But I didn't say anything to my parents. I, I remember sitting down with the guidance counselor that year, and she asked me, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to be an actor. And I remember seeing the corner of my eye, like my parents had never heard that before. And I went, uh, uh, so I now they know. Um, Did and they then, grimace or were they? No, my parents are always, always been very supportive. That's they good. just want to make sure that you have a rock solid foundation. And you know, moms and dads worry about how their kids grow up and what they don't want to see you struggle or sure. suffer or anything like that. So um, we made a pact where I would go to school graduate college, get a degree, and then my mom and dad was like, whatever you want to do, do it. What did you study? I studied communications, okay. and I had a minor in uh, film and television. Oh, well, so, so at least you... It's still in the same realm, and yeah. communications is a great, you know, it's so broad. You can do a whole lot of different things with that. Did you get the girl also? Not that one. Oh, okay. No, no. <laughs> that, I think she just got me the itch to get into... Sure. The play. The best way a girl can give you an itch, I suppose. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, it works. It worked out, though, because we did a play together that later in the year where we yeah. were both opposite. So, you know, the point was just to get in to, you know, just to try theater and all off of a bet, too. I mean, really, there was it wasn't anything That's I was taking I seriously. Songwriting. Really? Yeah. My mom called me up at work and said, I dare you to enter this songwriting contest. I said, I've only ever written poetry. I don't know how to write a song. And she said, well, I guess you better figure it out. And she double dog dared me, which you can't. You can't double dog. You can't dog. back down you from can't. a double dog dare. Nah. So that's so thanks, how it started. Mom. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty crazy. See, moms give you that little nudge at times. <sighs> yeah. Just to test the waters, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. When they're not trying to push you out of the nest, you know, into the river. <laughs> <laughs> so did you know I'm going to go to L.A. right away? No, I mean, sort of in the position you're in where you know you want to go, but it's like, okay, what do I, the steps I need to take to get there. All right, now I want to go back even further. Okay. So you were born into this world as the eldest first child mm -hmm. in your family. How many siblings do you have? I have two. Two siblings, mm -hmm. okay. Boy and a girl? Or, yeah, yeah, brother, Adam, sister, Ashley. Okay. And so how long after you were born till all the stuff that I know about, that they're about to know about, started happening? Uh, pretty quickly. Okay, so um, let's talk about that. Yeah, so I uh, I was born in Tampa. Um, there's my, your trouble. There's Just the trouble right there. Tampa. I know nothing about Tampa <laughs> other than that. Sorry, there was a, there was a lovely, I'm sure it's lovely woman's hospital back then that I was born in. They have dolphin football and... Not literally. That's the name of the team. That's Miami Dolphins, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Buccaneers. Dang it. Close. You're close. You knew they had football. That's something. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Um, so I was born in Tampa, and then um, my dad got transferred to Houston um, with his job. He used to work for a moving company. And uh, when we were in Houston, my brother was born um, in Katy, Texas. And right around that time, um, 
I started developing, uh, well, my mom wasn't really sure what it was. She just saw there was little bruising on my arms and stuff where she thought, man, I, I don't know what this is. I need to take him to the doctor. And you were how old? Uh, probably maybe like a year and a half. Oh, little Not, I was very tiny. Yeah. Um, we, cause my brothers, me and my brother are 18 months apart. So shortly after he was born, um, I was diagnosed like a few months after that. So not too, not too long, or I was maybe a year and a half, somewhere in that realm, I think. Um, we, my mom took me to the doctors and they did some tests and she was a little afraid to take me because she didn't know how they would react to the bruising because, you know, that looks like bruising on a kid. Are you, you know, my mom was afraid she would be accused of abusing me or whatnot. So, but she did it, you know, and, and, and knew that she needed to take me there. And my mom said pretty much right away, um, they knew exactly what it was. They did some testing on me and um, my mom just saw the face of the doctor and just knew right away and just broke the news to my my mom right there. And my mom had to let my dad know. And, and um, what was the diagnosis? I had, um, so I had ALL, which is uh, acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Um, which basically it, it, it affects your blood cells. And so I had, I think the, the somewhere in the, the, the realm of, if you're anywhere in this, the difference of like white to red or red to white is like 10 times as much, you're in bad shape. I was like 10,000 times that much. Like it was, it was really, really bad. So it was pretty progressed. Yeah, it was, it was sort of like we're one of those things where right away the doctor's like, we need to act now. Um, Do they think you maybe had been born with it and it just took a while for the symptoms to finally show themselves or was it just so aggressive that... I think it was just so aggressive and back then they didn't really know a whole lot about leukemia, childhood leukemia, specifically ALL and, and, and there's even rarer forms now um, or even back then I mean. Um, it was just an all, it was an unknown world for my mom and... <sighs> So no one there's no terrifying nowadays there's like places you can go for resources you know there's a great organization in arizona the emily center that has a vast amount of resources if your child is diagnosed with leukemia how to get you prepared sure. for that like what do you look f i mean back then my parents didn't have that there was no guide there was no even the doctors even medicine didn't really fully understand the gravity of that and that's why the success rate and the the survival rate was so low back then because what year was this uh this would have been 1983 um and so i was uh as soon as that happened um around the same time at the children's hospital there in houston my dad got transferred to new jersey north jersey so we had to make all of the arrangements to now not only removing because my dad's got a new job transfer my brother's born he's still very very young but now i have leukemia and now we have to move up to north jersey so the doctors at houston connected us with the doctors up at mount sinai um and some doctors that lived in the north jersey area to sort of head over the case and back then it wasn't just like okay we have leukemia okay we're gonna have the you know we're gonna this is the a b c d there wasn't a it wasn't just like you have a disease and now we're gonna go fix it there was so many things that had to match up in order for that to happen so when you for me i had to have a match i had to have a donor match a bone marrow match and um they that was step number one be the match.org by the way anyone listening be the match.org is where you can go and get genetic they send you a swab in the mail you swab you send it back and they can match you with uh with people who may need you desperately so just putting that out there I like that. Yeah. Anyway, go on. No, I like that. Um, and so the step two after trying to find a match would be you had to basically be submitted to hospitals that had transplant warts because not every hospital did back then. Um, so uh, they, tr my parents, they tried everybody, you know, mom, dad, you know, grandma, grandpa, friends, mm -hmm. who was a match, not a single person. Um, and then wow, they, that's crazy considering. Yeah, they and and they then they're way to be an original. <laughs> sorta, you know, and, and the, the, the even the cooler thing is my my as young as my brother being younger than me, my parents tested him, and he was a match. 
Mm. So now well, he's. Some families do that, right? They, yeah. they get recommended to have another child to see if the child if might the be. The child might be the match, yeah. yeah. Now, granted, my parents had another child, not knowing that I sure. was even going to be here, but in essence, you know, he turned out to be a saving grace, if you will. Um, but after we got the match, it was, okay, now what hospital is going to take us? Like, where are we going? The hospital that we were working with, Mount Sinai, had never done those before, so that was out of the question. Um, they did find Johns Hopkins in Baltimore. Um, so we went down there and um, were on the transplant ward. And so basically, in order to be eligible for a transplant, you have to get... Back then, I had to get chemotherapy. And the, the, the cancer had to go into remission before you could actually have a transplant. So I had the treatment in New York... Then when we when that looked good, when the treatment was good, I moved down to they moved they transferred us to Maryland. So they're giving a tiny baby, basically. I mean, a year and a half, two year old child chemotherapy. Yeah. Which really the essence of chemotherapy is takes you within an inch of your life to save your life. Yeah. There wasn't a whole lot of re there wasn't a whole lot of options back then. Yeah. You know, I mean in order to get I can only imagine your parents yeah. with a baby who is going to be, you know, the the giver of the marrow, you know, to help. And then you, who's so sick that they have to make you even sicker, really, in essence, to bring you back. I just, oh, I can't even imagine. Yeah. Yeah, it was, um, my mom has a journal, and uh, I've been reading through her journal, just her thoughts. And um, it, it, it's, it's, oh, it's kind of overwhelming to read you know, what they were going through. It's kind of surreal, too, to be alive today, read thoughts of what they were thinking while you were going through, you know, because I, I didn't know what I was going through. You know, I'm so young. Even when, you know, just, you, you don't know when you're that young, you just kind of go with the flow. And it, and it's your parents and the loved ones that are experiencing all the outside pain. Like, you'll you'll feel things, but I'm like, the emotional roller coasters, and they, they just, the the hospitals and the nurses and the doctors, they just create this bubble around you of just happiness. And so mom and dad always had to be happy, always had to be, they couldn't show weakness. Doctors can't show weakness. Like they can be real with you, but they're not going to, you know, their, their job is to, to, to basically make you feel like everything's okay. Cause I couldn't understand it anyway. You're two years old. You're not understanding. Yeah. But kids are pretty empathic, right? They're soaking in the emotions. So I imagine I know that in a lot of the children's hospitals, it's a lot of work is done to, to protect the yeah. kids for sure. Yeah. Make sure that all they, they're yeah. feeling is love. And what it, I think interests me so much about kids in that situation is how strong they are. Is in, in fact, a lot of times being the caregiver emotionally, you know. Do you have a recollection of, of anything at all from that time period? Uh, some things, you yeah. know. I mean, there's a, there are some moments that I, some painful moments, physical pain that I remember. Um, I, I have vague sort of almost, um, like not that I remember specifically being there, but from memories that I've heard, I, my mind goes back to that and I can see us sort of when I was there. Um, we had met a, in that first round um, at Johns Hopkins, we had met a family from Arizona um, and a little girl, they had a little girl named Emily who had a rarer form of leukemia than I did. And her and I became, we were the youngest, I believe we're the only two um, like cancer patients in this ward um, at Johns Hopkins at that time. And so the doctors and nurses and everybody just loved us. So we, we used to ride around on little like three wheelers and, you know, with our, uh, the, the IV cards, uh, mom and like moms chasing behind us. And, um, you know, I, I've talked to my mom about stories about me and Emily and little things that we'd done while we were there. And so I re I can remember little pieces of that. And then I remember some of the painful procedures that I've been in. Um, but the day to day stuff, I mean, it, no, I mean, I, I think my mom said I was very tired all the time, just from naturally the chemo. The, the chemo. Um, and uh, one of the cool things is actually Mr. Rogers from Mr. Rogers neighborhood actually called me personally in my bed um, at the hospital there. Um, I don't know how they can someone that somebody that my parents were able to get in contact with or reached out to them somehow. I mean, th this was a time where, there was there was newspaper articles written about me and Emily. Like 
that's how rare this situation was. And that's how, I mean, it, it's, it's really hard to explain and, and have people understand the gravity of it. But back then it was to see two kids at that age going through two rare forms of leukemia and not knowing the outcomes of that, but seeing how happy and smiling and it just, you asked my mom, it used, used to lift the doctors and the nurses up to see us, even in, despite us being tired. And, you know, Emily was a little, like a little older than me, maybe about a year, year and a half older than me. And she would just come by my room and knock on the door, just check on me, ask me if I could come out and play, you know, like little things like that. So it really was, it was this, this community that was formed around just the two of us. And it, 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 it was a special bond that unfortunately was, you know, didn't last as long as I would have hoped it would have. Um, Emily, she ended up passing away. Um, they had to do a uh, a much rarer procedure with her, which was she had to harvest her own bone marrow, and then they would give it back to her. That was the procedure back then, and it didn't work. They moved back home to Arizona, um, and uh, we kind of lost touch with them. My mom did get a letter from her mom about a year later, letting them know that, um, Emily had passed away a couple months after they had moved um, back home. So uh, for me, that time I ended up, my cancer ended up after a few back and forth from Mount, uh, Mount Sinai to get the chemo, I ended up having the bone marrow transplant. From your little brother. From my little brother. Um, and cancer went into remission. And then not very long after that, the cancer came back. And so now what was deemed sort of a, not an impossibility, but an improbability, very rare to survive one back then. Now you're asking, what do we do now? Like, what's the steps? Like, what are the options? They were the same options before. There is no advanced medicine like you are that there is today. You know, I've, I've spoken with cancer patients and, and, families that have had children that have gone through it they didn't even they didn't even have to do a bone marrow transplant they just had the drugs that were there that that helped that cured them we didn't have that option so it was basically do it all over again here we go round two and let's hope that it turns out for the best the problem was that um it was a risk it was a medical risk for a hospital to take that case um you know hospitals get funding from the government and their statistics help with funding. And so if you're, you know, if your success rates aren't where they should be, unfortunately, those things happen. And so Johns Hopkins, um, where we only knew of the only transplant ward, said, unfortunately, we, we can't help you guys. And so now after my parents- After helping you the first time. After helping us the first time, doing a fantastic job and spending all those months with us, we're left with, we, we can't, we can't do it. And so now my parents are left with, all right, well, Oh There's God. very few transplant words left to begin with. The one that we were at said, no, what do we do? So they went everywhere. They went, they looked at St. Jude's. They looked at all these other different places they could look at and nobody would take the case. Because at the time, if I have these numbers right, there were only six people that had ever, that they'd ever attempted a second bone marrow transplant on. I was one of the six. So four of them died though, in, in all in all, if you look at the, from one through six. So at that time, my mom said I would have been number four to, 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 ha to have the attempt. Um, now the doctors in Mount Sinai had been with us forever. Um, you know, this whole time they've been with us, Dr. Harris, Dr. Weiner, and Dr. Fruckman. These guys were the guys that just, they were with us from the grind. You know, they were, um, so my mom recalls, uh, them sitting my parents down after they had gone through rigorous attempts to get somebody to take the case again um and they said listen uh unfortunately we're, we're out of options we don't no one will take this case to do this second transplant um the only thing that we know what to do is um is to attempt to perform the transplant here at mount sinai now the thing the, the cool thing about that was that they offered that but the more the cooler thing for me is that Mount Sinai had never done a bone marrow transplant before on anybody. So I, in essence, was the very first one. And these doctors were willing to go through so much red tape, all the ins and outs of what they needed to do to make that happen, so much as they hired a nuclear physicist to build a machine 
that would zap me with radiation all over my body. So in order to have a second transplant, a couple things that happen. Your, um, if I had any radiation in that first go-round, because I just had chemo, which are different, chemo and radiation different, um, I would not have been eligible for a second transplant. But I had no radiation the first time. So now they have to put me in a box, basically, that zaps me with radiation that basically just zaps the immune system, just completely gets everything out of there. And then the cancer has to stay in remission for six months. If it does all that, then you're eligible to do a second transplant. So here's a question. If you already had the ALL and it came back, is it stronger the second time? The way diseases work, you know, they come back stronger or is it the same? No, it's 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 stronger and it's, it's more, um, I don't know if it's, the same, it's accurate to say it's more lethal, but it's definitely, I think that's why they don't take the risk is because now it's like, well... You survive one, that's great, but now it's coming back even more so. Yeah. It, 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 I don't, I think it's just, it's too, it's too dicey. You know, it's, it's an unfortunate predicament to be in. Um, How old are you at this point when you're getting irradiated? So we were, um, I was, that was, that would have been in 1986. So I was like around four. So now you're at a point where you actually know what's going on. Now I can have a, I can have a sense of, feeling a sort of awareness a little bit yeah you yeah. know a little um uh still and i think the times are different though you know back in back then the 80s you know not knowing a whole lot about it um you know i, I think i think kids are i don't think i was a smart kid i don't I, I mean i wasn't you know i don't know if if even if my parents had told me things i would have even understood and recollected exactly what I was going through, you know what I mean? I think I don't the medical terms and the the serious nature. I, I I can't even imagine any parent having to sit down with their child at any age, you know, let alone um, you know being a teenager or whatever. But to sit them down and give them the gravity of, hey, listen, there's a chance that you might not be with us anymore. Did you have that sense? Even I don't if they remember didn't? any of that. Okay. I don't remember any of that at all. And that's something cool when we get into this documentary. These are conversations and questions that my parents, I, I, I'm, I'm excited to hear from them about the, the steps and what we've gone through. Um, but I, I don't, I, I still, there was just this, the only thing I can keep remembering is the, the sheer um, bubble of joy and happiness that was put around Still, me even yeah yeah despite this despite it even being more and intense. Mike I can only imagine that everyone around you wants this so much and I do believe in in that kind of power I really do yeah that the more people that are heading toward the same goal or having the same prayer if you will yeah it, it that energy has to go somewhere 100% I, I mean Granted, some children die, some people die, and there's that, well, where was it for them? But I still believe that that is something that, that yeah. does help. I agree. I, I mean, th this was so, I mean, my mom has a bunch of people in her family. Like, she has a big family. My dad has a big family. They have friends. I mean, just people at work. Everybody was, everybody knew about it. People that didn't even know me knew about it. I mean, so there was a lot of prayers and thoughts and just my room was decked out with <laughs> balloons and gifts and all of this stuff i mean they were doing anything they could uh, e even down to having mr rogers call me like, do you remember that i do i do remember that vaguely my mom said um i was so tired and grumpy from the radiate from the chemo that i actually was kind of a little a little snot <laughs> in sure the sense I was, yeah but i mean it was a you know it's it like a minute long conversation he wow. was just calling the wishes you know wish me the best and that he was praying about and praying for me and i still have no idea how he even heard about it mr. you know rogers. but he's mr rogers you know so um but it was things like that that just um, and even inside of that community, the transplant ward, the different ages of, of cancer patients that were in there, um, you, it's all a sense of community. Like, that's how we, my parents bonded with Emily's parents because they were in the same boat. No one really understood what they were going through, but they understood what they were going through. And so I think there is, there is, this, um, there is this silver lining, so to speak, when you are put in that position 
as a family to get a sense of family from people that are in there. I mean, mm-hmm. I have pictures that my mom showed me of of 18-year-old kids that had cancer, that did not survive, that um, that were my buddy, that I was their buddy, that we just had this interaction. All of, I mean, there's many pictures I have um, through all that time. And so I think there is this, you know, there's this natural sort of whenever you're, I just think, I think you see it in society when something bad happens to people, there is this rally around each other. There's this morale boosting thing, whether it's something as, you know, devastating as 9-11 on a larger scale, or it's something that hits home to people. Cancer affects everybody. It does. You don't have to be a certain age. There's no discrimination. So whether you're two years old and not understanding it, or whether you're 32 years old and fully grasping everything, there are people around you that relate to that and mm-hmm. that you build this bond. And so if anything, you never want to go through those things alone, I think is, is ultimate. And so having that sense of just relationship with people is huge. And I, mm-hmm. and I, and I think for me, I don't know what it feels like emotionally for people that go through it today. That's something that I'll, I'll never know because I didn't go through those emotions. I just, Oh yeah, you gotta stick me with a needle. Like that's guess what I'm doing. I'm four years old. I have no idea. Now can I go play with my GI Joes? I mean, like that was the the realm, you know. That the the radiation, that radiation did it. You know, yeah. it zapped me, and then um, cancer stayed in. I can only imagine how how nervous those six months were. Oh my god! I I, I, I think about that every now and then because you're so close, but you don't know. And so at any moment, if it comes back, it's over. Like there is no round three like this is it and so i think um that that must have been really really hard for me i don't remember really much of it i don't think there was any sort of heavy gravitational thing where i'm thinking about it or comprehending it or i still don't even know if i knew what exactly what was going on i learned a lot more as i got older you know as i had questions and whatnot um but yeah after six months we had the second transplant which my brother was the match again um and then it went into remission and then um, in night we would go back for checkups every now and then. And then in 1991 we went back for a checkup, and um, they said your cancer is completely gone. You're cured. And so you usually have to wait about five years after that, after the transplant, um, when your cancer goes remission. If it stays that long, then that's pretty much their ruling of you're cured. And I haven't had any side effects. I haven't had anything since. I have a higher risk of other life-threatening diseases as I get older, um, but nothing to do with, with, with cancer. I could, it, some form of it could come, but um, I haven't had any side effects. I, I know people that have had side effects. I've been, um, you know, pretty healthy. I used to take it with hormone shots and, and watch my, you know, thyroid medication growing up, but whether that was related to the cancer or not, I don't know. I just, I come from a my dad has a short side of the family, so like you know, I'm short. It just it is, it's it is. so weird to think about that. In order to get rid of a cancer, you do something to a body that causes cancer. Also, yeah. that is insane. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I my I mean, if there are any side effects of it, I think I have I have weakening teeth. My mm-hmm. roots of my teeth are very weak, um, but I don't get sick very often. Like my immune system is. It's pretty strong. When I do get a cold, it, it knocks me out for a few days, but I don't get it to where I'm always like, you know, oh, I'm sick this week. I'm sick. Th-. That doesn't really happen. It just kind of comes in, you know, sort of waves yeah. if I get it at all. But So you were pronounced cancer-free at about age... I was nine years old. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At that point, you understand life and death at yeah. nine. I mean, people start losing their first pets around six yeah. or seven. Yeah. They get they get the idea of what all that's about, um, or at least they get to understand what that means. Were you having those kind of thoughts about the gravity of everything you had seen, or were you still in a... No, I think I was still, like, when I was seven years old, I, um, well, I was six years old, and I, I asked my dad to pray with me to become a Christian. And ask Jesus into my heart. And then when I was seven years old, my mom said I started to understand that a lot more as to what that meant exactly. So I grew up in the church and I grew up, you know, in a Christian home. And, you know, all my friends, I guess as a nine-year-old, no. I mean, I, I honestly didn't really start thinking about it until um, I was, I would, 
I would get things every now and then. Like I would something we would, you know, family member would bring it up or something and it would just so it was it was it was talked about or you know, a doctor's name would be brought up because I was always going through checkups. So I knew what I was doing. I mean, I was doing checkups till I was in high school, you know, going up to see an endocrinologist in New York, um, Dr. Larson. So I mean I was constantly in still in that realm of, you know, understanding that even though it's in remission and even though we're good, there's still medical stuff that I'm dealing with right now that I'm mm -hmm. going through. Mm -hmm. You know, once I found out my, my, with the dentist and the weak enamel, like it was like, okay, so this is stuff that, this is a little stuff that I have to deal with, you know, because of that. Well, you know, that's, that's small potatoes compared to maybe some other side effects that people might have from going through things like that. Um, but how I, were your parents with you? Were, were they more precious with you, like, to protect you? You've gone through this massive event, and kids get into all sorts of things. Little boys jump off yeah. roofs to fly, and, you yeah. know, they crash their bicycles. And they, I, not that little girls don't, but I'm just yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah, you know, no, like, I think well, I think little boys have that natural reaction to want to jump off rooftops, and, you know, girls they, don't want to do that because like we're a little, little bit dumber, <laughs> you know? Little boys are not using their heads as quite as well. No, I mean, I had a really normal, like, childhood. I mean, I you know, I think no different than any other so they parent and kid. You know, wrap you in bubble wrap before you no, the no, no. I um, no. If anything, um, you know, I knew football was always out of the question. Like it didn't matter. My brother the same way. Like my parents, we weren't able to play it. But even if we were, I think football was one of those things that my mom and dad probably won't want to let us play. But no, I ended. I mean, I I got into the trouble. I got in. You know, I got hurt. I did. You know, all the all the dumb things that you know little boys do, and just the adventurous things that we do. Um, I never really felt like I was having like overprotective or, you know, it maybe subliminally or in, unintentionally. My parents' thoughts were like that, obviously wanting to make sure. But I don't know if it was any different than um, any other parent to child thing. I think, you know, me and my brother and sister were all raised sort of the same way. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, them learning from me as I got older and then, you know, discipline and stuff like that with with Ashley. Um you know, we're we're six ages, six years difference, me and my sister. So, um, do you and your brother have a unique extra bond? Do you think because you shared now? Yeah, you know, I, DNA? I, yeah. I mean, aside I, from the fact that you already shared DNA, but you know more specifically. Totally. You know, one of the cool things that I learned actually just maybe two years ago, not even when I first started thinking about doing this documentary. Um, my mom was. I asked my mom just to give me an idea of like what like from her point of view, what happened and just give me some details because I realized I had to start talking about this. And if I'm going to start talking about this, I really need to know what it is I went through and what all the things around that. And, um, well, she was telling me about my brother and being the match. And, um, one of the lines that she wrote is that me and Adam are literally blood brothers, that you have to break down our DNA to see that where we are different. That's how close we are. And so, as you know, and the gravity of that stuff doesn't really hit home, didn't hit home to me in, until as I've gotten older, um, you know, because as a, as a kid and a teenager, I was I was probably a jerk older brother, you know, and I, I'll admit that. And we used to, you know, fight and do all this stuff. And I think as we've... You mean you were normal? Normal, yeah, probably, you know, normal, maybe, yeah. maybe some extra things that, you know, I'm not totally proud of. But I think as I've gotten older, I've, and understanding our relationship back then and us not even really knowing what we were doing, you know, we didn't have a, we didn't think, we didn't sit down and talk about it, you know, like it, it is what it was back then. And so as we've, we've kind of gone our, our own ways as far as life has taken us and he lives in North Carolina with his family, I think the distance has made us even closer, um, which is something that I, that I, that I definitely hold on to. I, I you know, um, I'm excited to talk to him about, this and his experience with you know being involved in the documentary and he jokes and he's like man i don't i don't really know what you're gonna what you want me to say i don't really remember much i'm like it's okay like i just want i want us to be able to sit down and just kind of recall that you mm -hmm. know and just how do we view it looking back and so there's there's definitely a special for me a special bond there that um i had no control over and um but without him i wouldn't be here today and so I think, you know, in, at, at the base that, um, that sh I owe him a lot, you know, and I, and I'm thankful that God, as my mom says, brought this gift into the world 
that we had no idea what kind of impact he would have. And so if that's all he ever did in life, that's pretty cool. He saved And he's life. gone yeah. way be, and he's done way more than that. <laughs> but I'm saying, like, if you break it down into that, yeah, I mean, that's that's more than a lot of people do in a lifetime. So that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, you know, that's absolutely. pretty cool. So the heroes that walk among us, yeah, everyday heroes. Mm-hmm. How did you uh, decide to make the? Let's talk about the documentary. Okay. Thirty years later. Yeah, the name right now. Who's the name we're right working now? On it. Okay. Yeah, we're working on it. But it's it's what's stuck to start. So um, I had uh, that came about kind of quickly. Um, about two years ago, I was out with um, I was visiting my sister in San Francisco, and she was living there at the time. And I had a really good friend of mine that I hadn't seen in a few years, but I found out that she lived there with her husband. So I was like, hey. I'll be in town. Let's, you know, if you're free, let's get together. And she was wide open that weekend. So she goes, yeah, let's do it. So um, I ended up hanging out with her and learning what she's been doing in those like four or five years that we hadn't really seen each other. And she'd become a producer and she was kind of telling me what she was working on and and, and different things like that. And I was like, well, that's, um," she's like, well, I have some projects that I would love to run by you if you're you know, you think that that's something you give me some advice on or something like that. And she goes, yeah, sure. Send them out to me. So about two months before I had seen her, I had been asked to speak at a women's cancer survivor event. Um, I had met a lady at, uh, the restaurant where I work and she had survived cancer. She had survived a terrorist attack. She had survived gunshots. Fascinating woman. So full of positive energy. It, it just rubs off on you. And she had said to me, Hey, we have this event coming up. I would love for you to share your story of you and Emily and share what you went through. And maybe you could write a song for it if you, you know, if you think that'd be. And I said, yeah, I mean, I would love to. And so I worked on this, working on this song with my friend Jared. And then I was working on what I was supposed to say. And I only had about 15 minutes to do everything. And so when I got up there and I started talking, I realized after I was done, I really didn't even scratch the surface of what I went through. And the people that I would see in the restaurant and I would share the story with little bits and pieces, it wasn't enough. Like I wasn't, they would leave, but there was like, man, there's so much more that I didn't even get to. So I started thinking, well, how do I, what do I do about that? And I made, you know, I'd preface this earlier, but you make these friends in Hollywood that they might not be working with them at the moment, but you build friendships and you never know what can come down the road. And so when I had done these conversations and I had done this event, I thought, you know what? I'm, I'm feeling like a documentary is, is the way to go. And I don't know what that looks like. Never done anything like that. But let's, let's, you know, let's move forward with that and see. So my, my, I, had, I had three plans. First plan was to show the script to my friend Maggie, who had from San Francisco. See what she was to say. Um, I sent it to Maggie and she immediately wrote me back. She texted me back and she said, Maddie, I just want to say that I was literally trying to hold back tears reading your story. Um, but I need you to do, you know, but here's what I have to say about it is I need you to be the face and the voice of this. And she goes, I know you don't like to be the center of attention, but if you, and she knows me well, cause I don't, I don't, that was the biggest hurdle for me to, to say yes to this was to, be the face of it i didn't want i don't i didn't want to be the face of it like i in direct opposition of the actor you 100 percent. but it's because it's your story there's a big difference and and i and i don't and it it, i don't want it to be a story about me like the gravity of this and so you know um but yes it is ironic as an actor but i know i know many actors but you're the roots from which the tree will grow yeah and but this was something that i had to battle myself because i acting was a job i could go act and do my job and give you because you're paying me to do that whatever you want me to do and i love to act but i'm not that same way when i'm not acting when those cameras are off i'm pretty mellow laid back kind of blend in the crowd i I don't i'm not huge some friends my friends will call me a wallflower like i just like to observe i don't like to be the center of attention and so and that's changed from when i was a kid because i love to be the center of attention (laughs) And I, I, I don't know where that exactly changed, but it just changed over time. Um, so I, I kind of thought, well, she hit me with that. And I thought 
my mind, I thought, well, I could figure out probably I'd do this without me being the center of attention. I don't need it. But she goes, no, you need to do this. You need to be the voice. And if you're not comfortable with that, you can't do it. So I took about two weeks and I really thought about it. I prayed about it, talked to my parents. And I was like, you know what? I think it would be selfish of me if, if we, if we didn't move forward with this, just because I didn't want to be the center of attention. And I didn't want people to think that I was doing this for reasons other than why I'm actually doing it. So, um, but I did, I did work out a way in my head where I could still the way we filmed, the way we shot, I don't always have to be on the camera. Like there's, there are ways to kind of get around that. Um, and then my second step was I have one of my really good friends in California. His name's Kurt. I said, all right, Kurt, I'm going to send this to Kurt. I'm going to him to read it. And if Kurt wants to be the production coordinator on it, we're going to do it. If he says no, I'm not doing it because I have such faith in Kurt that I've worked with him on a number of different things that I don't even need to remotely think about whether he'll drop the ball or not because he never does. And so that's a really big assurance for me. And plus, I wanted someone to be on this project that knew me and knew my story. And I didn't just want to hire random people. So down to the camera operator, down to the producers, you know, whatever staff we have, I want them all to have some sort of connection to this. Um, and so Kurt, I sent it to him. He didn't get back to me right away. I followed up with him and we got on the phone call and I was like, Hey man. So I didn't ask him if he wanted to be a part of it. I just gave him this as an idea. And he goes, yeah, man, this is a really good idea. I like it. And I was like, well, I'm glad. Do you think you, uh, you would want to like jump on board and work on this with me? And there was a moment of silence. And then he goes, yeah. And then I just did one of these sort of, like, <laughs> Yay. you know, um, and I knew right then I knew, okay, we're good. This is the start of it. However long it takes, that's unknown, but here we are. And so that was really the, the process that it took to get us to that position of, okay, we're going to do this. Mm. Cause without Kurt, without the expertise, I didn't know what I was doing. Mm -hmm. Heck, I still don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, it's a long for the ride. That's the good news. You know? Yeah. We're all figuring it out as we yeah, go. Yeah, we are. So you're talking to other families that have gone through this. Yes. Your own family. Um, yes. And, and painting a picture of what it's like to... Yeah, I kind of... kind of Their goal is to kind of sort of paint a picture and, and a bridge, so to speak, of that time back then, what I went through, and the differences of what it looked like mm -hmm. compared to today. And, you know, find kids, find families that have kids my age when I was four, mm -hmm. three, whatever, mm -hmm. kind of talk to their families. Um, and I've had a, a, a pleasure of meeting um, a, a lovely family that came into the restaurant a little while, about a year ago now, and we've stayed in connection. So this is like to, to not only share my story, but to remind people that it's not, it's not like, okay, we did this, I survived, and now cancer goes away. Like there are cancer is still around mm -hmm. and it's still affecting the same adorable four year old little boys. There's, there's little girls and little boys out there and moms that have, and dads have no idea what's going on. And I think, um, and they don't know where to go. They don't understand, you know, why is this happening to them? And so I think ultimately I want to shed, I want to sort of be, use that story to illustrate that there is, it's not all, unknown it's not all there is a possibility you know my in between that first and second transplant the doctors at, at johns hopkins told my parents that i was going to die that I, there it was basically impossible for me to survive a second transplant and to them that's all they knew they didn't they they looked at the evidence and no one has really survived it so you know, so it was more of an enjoy the time you have with your child, not let's figure out how to beat this. And all the while, your parents <clears throat> are also staying together, which is yeah. trauma and, and stress like this takes its toll on, on relationship. Yeah. So yeah. it would be interesting to hear how they managed to weather that as well. Yeah. I mean, I've gotten vague, vague pieces from my mom's journal, you know, mm -hmm. um, but uh, and I know my mom... It was my mom's faith in Christ that really got her through it. My parents became Christians through that whole ordeal. And so in her journal, she's literally writing to God, God, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why this is happening, but I trust you. And so I constantly saw trust in all of these phases of her son going through these unknown situations. And 
she trusted in God no matter what. And I think to me that was an, an incredible example of of just trusting in God when you're at your lowest. And I can only imagine where she was as she's writing these, what she's, you know, going through physically, you know, emotionally, because um, those are just words on the paper. I can't project emotion on those, you know. Um, I have a little insight. We're, we're working on a really cool teaser video right now um, that I had my mom record a little snippet of what we went through, of what she went through. And I can get a little, I got a little bit of emotion from her out of that. So I know this whole thing is going to be difficult, mm -hmm. even though we know the ending. Mm -hmm. um, but to rehash all of that, it has to stir up emotion. Of so, course. You know, and hear from my dad. I you're hearing this and I wasn't there. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard not to be emotional. Yeah. It's kids, firstly. Secondly, it's a lot of emotion. It's against all odds. It's yeah. all the things, mm -hmm. you know, the ultimate yeah. underdog you know, it's, story. It, and who doesn't love a great underdog story? Yeah, you know, it's... Uh, will, you, will you be talking to Emily's family? Yeah, we will. We'll be connecting with her mom um, and her her family. I actually, we, we filmed in, started filming in June of this year, and um, we were able to track her parents down, mm -hmm. uh, her mom, actually. So her and her mom, we met. Me and her mom um, had a great conversation. Um, shortly after that, I got her uh, Emily's sister, Karis, who was... That's a cool name. Wasn't it? K-A-R-I-S, who was with us, who actually was in the hospital, mm -hmm. um, not as a patient, but sister, when they were in, when we were all together in Maryland, um, she actually reached out to me via Facebook and said to say she was sorry that we couldn't connect, but we're working on connecting whole family going back out to Arizona again um, in our next round of filming um, probably in the new year and uh, so to be able to sit down and just interact and connect with them and learn about Emily you know and um, this girl has left an impact that I think many people would ever just dream of leaving you know she left this world at seven but she has a foundation in her name uh, I believe it started in 1990 so 28 years of um, this legacy that she didn't even know she was going to leave. And it's the resource center. It's the Emily Center. It's her mom runs it. And it's um, they have a great team over there. And we got a chance to go in there and, and learn all about what they're doing. So um, I'm excited to kind of share that with people. And, and those are things that we want to let the world know about. Places like that, you know, unknown places that, you know, you, you turn something so drastically negative and tragic and you turn it into something like that. Like it's that, beautiful. those things can give you hope, you know, not Absolutely. even on a cancer level, just in general. Yeah. So I think that's, uh, there's a lot to this document. We got a lot, <sighs> there's a lot in it. And it, it's our, it's our job to sort of make it flow right and, and everything fit properly. Um, but the biggest thing is we're taking our time. How and can people follow all of this? Where can they keep track of the progress? And yeah, um, so we have a uh, we have a, a GoFundMe page set up right now, um, just as a place, just an empty, you know, a, a place to give somebody a chance to go to and look, kind of give a breakdown of what's going on. Um, it's just simply thirty years later. The photo is a, a little baby picture of pudgy me, <laughs> um, so you can't miss it. Um, also, our Instagram. Um, it's 30 years later, but it's three zero years later. Um, you'll see, uh, we're just kind of keeping, we, that's where I just let everybody know um, what we're doing. And then um, Facebook is 30 years later movie. Again, just another place to sort of, we're, we're sort of in the process of branding and remarketing and kind of reshifting things. So we'll, um, once we pick that actual name, whatever that name ends up, that title ends up being, um, that will certainly uh, probably change a little bit of the names and stuff like that. But um, right now, Instagram and Facebook, we'll just, we update people as we're moving along, what we're going with. Um, and, or you can email us at 30 years later, doc at gmail.com. If you have any, if you want to share your story, if you want to. Is that the number or the word 30 on that? Uh, that one's just written out 30 years later, doc at gmail.com okay and i'll put links to all that at heyhumanpodcast.com because sometimes that's easier for people just to go see everything at yeah once. totally yeah. yeah matt you are incredible and i'm glad you're on the planet thank you yeah i'm i'm, I'm it's uh you know I'm, a lot of times i think you know I'm, I'm very fortunate 
and and I don't know why necessarily I survived and Emily didn't. And I don't think we're we're meant to have those answers. Um, you just have to, you know, take what life is given to you and try to be steadfast and being some sort of beacon. You never know what your story can do to somebody else. And so I think if you have a story, share your story. It doesn't matter. You might think it's insignificant, but it might not be. That's a human for you. There you go. There you <laughs> Absolutely. Go. <laughs> Matt, thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's I wish you all the success for the movie. I know it's going to be incredible. So, well, thank you. Yeah. We appreciate that. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes. Thank you.